Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. good morning, man. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, we are diving right in. If you're new with us, my name is Spence. I serve as a lead pastor here at Mercy Church. And today we are beginning a six-part sermon series that we're calling It's Hard to Believe. It's hard to believe. The idea behind this series is just to kind of speak to some of the common obstacles or questions people have when it comes to believing in Christianity. And I'll just tell you, these come from eight years of being your pastor, where I've walked with you through um, all of these questions that we're going to cover today. And it's some of these I've had as well. Um, and I had to work through over years uh, with the Lord. Um, and these are questions that are very just kind of real life where we are right now. Uh, things like you lose somebody you love and you start to doubt whether God is real or if he is, is he good? You make a new friend maybe that uh, doesn't believe like you believe and you start to ask that question. Uh, well, how can Jesus be the only way when uh, this person seems like a good person? They don't believe what I believe. So we're going to talk about, we're actually going to have a couple of weeks on, on suffering and on evil in the world. And then we're going to have some time today on the exclusivity of Jesus and that claim. Or maybe it's things like you read a headline about a church leader abusing somebody and you think, is the Bible telling me that person is right, but my transgender friend is wrong? So we're going to talk about gender identity, and we're going to talk about uh, church hurt and other things like that. Uh, look, most, most Christians, if we are honest, we just got some doubts, right? If, if we're honest, I know we put on a good face on Sunday morning, but if we're honest, we got doubts. And there's certain aspects of our faith that just don't make sense to us. There's a guy named Alvin Plantinga, he's a really sharp, sharp theologian, but he says there's an unbeliever within the heart of every Christian. And it's not necessarily the strength of the arguments out there that rattle us, it's the way they resonate with the unbeliever inside of us. It's common for people to see doubt as like a, just like a wall that keeps us from belief. Like belief's right there on the other side and I, I want to believe, but there's just this immovable wall of doubt. And in this series, my hope if we can kind of go with the metaphor, is to show you and help you see doubt not as a wall, but instead as a door with hinges and a handle that you can actually use to pull that door open and enter into the house of faith. And y'all, I'm telling you some of the greatest Christian minds in church history from Augustine to C.S. Lewis and several in between were all um, people that did not believe in God, filled with doubt, atheistic in their claims, and but saw doubt as a door that God used to bring them to faith. And I'm telling you, what you think is a barrier, a wall, is actually the very thing. If you'll let him, God will use to draw him to draw you to, your, to himself. So we're going to take six weeks. We're going to open some doors together. If you're not a Christian, listen, I think this is a great series of sermons for you. Just to begin to investigate what, we, what it is that we believe, regardless of where you are in your faith. Look, I want to invite you to kind of stick around with us for this series. We're about six weeks, and here's why. It takes about six weeks to figure out if a church is right for you, okay? 
Sometimes you know like week one within like three minutes if it's not right for you, okay? I get that. But it usually takes some time to figure out, man, is this the right church for me? And so I wanna invite you to stick around and to get into a community group where you can discuss this stuff because here's what's gonna happen. I think for most of us, these sermons are gonna kind of like, spark five more questions. If they answer one, they'll spark five more. And you need to be in the context of community where you can dialogue with some other believers and figure this stuff out, okay? And I'll, because I'll say, my goal here is not to eliminate all forms of doubt. Doubt actually starts to become too broad of a word even because uh, I think you'll agree with me, there is honest doubt and there is dishonest doubt. Honest doubt says, man, I just, I'm struggling to understand this. And so I'm coming with an open heart and an open mind, and I'm willing and ready to listen to an explanation. But dishonest doubt says, I have already made up my mind, and I'm looking for ways to discredit what you're saying. I'm looking for ways to poke holes in that. For honest doubters, my hope's to provide you some tools, some answers to help you in your investigation of faith. For dishonest doubters, my goal is actually just to show you the love of God for you to show you that God loves you. I want to encourage you at least in our time together in the mornings to maybe, maybe my hope is for you to doubt your own doubts a little bit, but I think love is what you need more than anything else. In fact, that leads me to the tone that we're out to set for this whole series, y'all. The last thing I'll say as we get into it, we are not out here to be combative. Okay. The tone of this series is truth in love. I can't help but think of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's like, if I have, verse two, if I have the kind of knowledge, right? The kind of knowledge that will explain all the mysteries of God and faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. In fact, he says, I'm just a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. That's not what we wanna be, all right? I'm gonna try and address some common questions, try to show you God's better way, but I am not trying to win an argument with you. Christian, I'm not trying to equip you to win an argument, I'm trying to give you tools for the mission of God to reach the lost with the love of Christ. All right. And last thing, I I do want to say this. If you've been around with us before, these sermons stylistically are going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. Normally we take a passage of scripture and we just kind of walk through it. In fact, when we get done with these six weeks, we're going right back into Ephesians where we have been and we'll just keep walking through the letter. So this is different. I want you to kind of put on your thinking caps a little bit over these six weeks because I think it's going to be very helpful for you. But I just want to acknowledge it's going to be a little bit different of a feel, okay? I will ask you from time to time, all three of our campuses, are you with me? And that's for you to respond, whether it's to me or just to one another. Like, yeah, we're, we're here, okay? We're not lost. We're still tracking with you, all right? Today, we look at the idea that the rest of the sermons are going to build on. In a word, the problem is exclusivity. And the statement often goes like this. It's hard to believe there's only one right religion. It's just hard to believe there's only one right religion. Your non-Christian friends will say, why can't Jesus just be good for you and what I believe be good for me? The problem's often presented as a, a hypothetical that goes something like this. There's a remote tribe of people on one of the islands of Micronesia in the South Pacific. A boy is born there, lives his whole life, never leaves, never hears the name of Jesus, grows up, To be a man, no one in his tribe has ever heard the name of Jesus. Then when he grows old and he dies, the question is, what happens to the man on the island when he dies? Is God going to send him to hell because he's never heard of Jesus? That's the tough question. Because if the Christian says, 
well, Jesus is the only way. It seems both unloving and arrogant to this very, in response to a very real example. But then if the Christian goes the other way and says, well, you know, for the you know, man on the island, you know, there's probably another way for him. Well, wait, now the Christian seems to be contradicting himself or herself. This only one way idea that there is an absolute and singular truth. Y'all, I'm telling you, it is so offensive in the present day that a lot of Christians hope it just never comes up. We just don't want to deal with it because we don't know the way out of a conversation that doesn't end with us sounding totally unsure or like some intolerant bigot. And people will turn to religion. They'll say, see, that right there. That's why we can't get peace on earth. It's you religious fanatics. You believe you're right. Everyone else is wrong and an infidel. So the conclusion is drawn by secular society that exclusive religious claims lead to hatred and even violence in the name of that religion. And as your pastor, you might be a little bit surprised to hear me say, yeah, to some extent, I agree with you. Religion can create a slippery slope in the heart because your religion tells you you have the truth that others don't have. So you live by a standard others don't live by. And you begin to, whether you mean to or not, you can, if you're not careful, begin to look down on people who don't believe like you do. You can start to separate from them. That separation leads to unfamiliarity. Unfamiliarity leads to dehumanization. And soon enough, you can start to feel okay about hating and even enacting violence towards those people. But here's the thing. The tragic irony of this view that religion leads to violence and hatred, that view led atheists to commit horrible atrocities in the 20th century. Alistair McGrath, in his History of Atheism, he said it this way. He said, the 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes in human history, that the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. We're talking about communist China. We're talking about Soviet Russia. In a sense, we're talking about Nazi Germany. In other words, the idea that the world is, is getting better and religious belief is that's something we need to grow beyond. That was painfully disproven last century. The one I want to show you today is why the gospel of Jesus Christ actually isn't at all like that. I want to show you why I believe the gospel actually announces the most humble, inclusive, peace-loving worldview ever put forward in human history. But to get there, I want to do three things. It's going to be our outline for the sermon, okay? Now that the world's longest introduction is coming to a close. First, I want us to get clear on what Christians actually believe, okay? Especially those of you, you're, you're new in here with us, but really for all of us, same page. We need to get on the same page about what we believe. Secondly, I want to talk about the man on the island. I want to show you why I think Christianity is the most inclusive religion the world has ever known. I want to talk about, talk about that man on the island. And third, I'm going to call us to action. I'm going to call us to whether or not Christian or not, to everybody, you're going to hear us say all the time right here at Mercy Church, we, we believe that everybody has a next step in following Jesus. We're going to talk about those steps, okay? And we'll do all that in 25 minutes. So here we go. Start with point one. You guys with me so far? Everybody with me? Let's go. All right. Let's start with what Christians actually believe. Because I grew up in the South, um, in, right here in the Bible Belt, 
And that means the most influential religion on our culture was Christianity. And y'all, it's like somebody shot a Bible confetti cannon just boom all over the Southeast. And you can pick up any one or two pieces and assume, well, this is what they must believe and make assumptions about the whole thing. I can tell you the silliness that I have heard ascribed to Christianity that has nothing to do with Christianity. Things like, I'm serious when I say this, things like, well, I know the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. It does not say that. Now, that is not, you're not off the hook for bathing. I got two teenage sons. Like you need to bathe. That is good, but don't, that's, that's just good wisdom. Okay. Or I'll hear, well, listen, man, one of the things that's tough for me is, you know, the Christian claim that Jesus appeared in North America. I just, I just have trouble believing that. Me too. He didn't. Okay. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's Mormonism. That's not Christianity. Okay. Or the one, you know, Hey, I know the Bible says, man, this is why I I struggle with it. God helps those who help help themselves. No, it doesn't. That's Benjamin Franklin and poor Richard's almanac. That's who said that, okay? That's not, in fact, the Bible says the exact opposite. He helps those who cannot help themselves, all right? Now, we'll get into more of that next week. Um, We got a a guest preacher, Dr. Kruger, who preached last week, uh, excuse me, last year in the series on John, who's going to be talking about why we can trust the Bible. Um, But today, I just want to get clear on what we believe here in this section of the sermon. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to one verse, actually two, that just capture the heart of Christianity. It captures the story that our scriptures tell. And intentionally, I'm using a very familiar one to call us back to the center of our faith. It is The gospel of John chapter three, verse 16 says this. This is what we believe y'all. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God, I told you, tone of the series is love. And it's the third word in that verse. That's what we're about y'all. God loved the world. Some of you came in here today, you weren't expecting to dive into a hard question or something like that. I get that. But look, this is all you really need. God loves you. The world, that's the whole world. That's you, that's me, that's your friend, that's the man on the island. The Christian message is first and foremost the announcement that we do in fact believe there is a God. We do believe that there is one God and he loves the people he made and that includes you. His love is not just a feeling because love is not just a feeling. Love is expressed in action and God acted by, what does it say? Giving very, this is a very generous God, a sacrificially generous God that we believe in. He gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, the only son of God, the father. And he gave his son to the world that he loves. Gift was sacrificial, and it was for the purpose of saving people who were bound for death because of something the Bible calls sin. And this is a big thought right here, okay? There's a big thought right here. God loves all of us, and yet, despite that love that He has for us, all of us have sinned. Every single human. Okay, in fact, uh, Psalm 14:3, there is no one who does good, not even one. All right, this is a core belief of Christianity. Some people try and sidestep around it because it feels kind of icky to talk about sin, but it's a reality. Christians believe in right and wrong, right? We believe it because everything in our own experience shows us there must be a right and a wrong. Our scriptures teach it and our experience validates it. Regardless of your religion, you probably believe some things are right and wrong. 
right? There's some universal right and wrongs still in our day. You probably believe molesting children is wrong and protecting children is right. You probably believe that exploiting the poor for profit is wrong and caring for the poor is right. You probably believe that kale is wrong and that Krispy Kreme is right, right? Like you have some kind of moral compass that exists. There, there are universal right and wrongs and Christians simply claim that there is a God outside of us who sets those right and wrongs. That's a rational belief. It's got to come from somewhere outside ourselves. Anytime we do wrong, the Bible explains that as sin. That's what's called sin and we all do it. And I think if we weren't in church and we were just sitting around, I think you'd agree to this, that you've done, I've done, everybody's done some intentionally wrong things in their lives. It's like the one thing we don't have to teach our kids. I've told you all this before you've been in our church. Like you don't like, I got to teach my kids everything else except this. I do not teach, have to teach them how to sin, right? No one taught my four kids to say mine. No one taught one of my kids a couple years ago to write boo mom on the inside ceiling of our car. And then when confronted about it, no one taught that child to say, I don't know. Well, I don't know. To lie about it. No, this is down in our nature, y'all. We are sinners way down here in our nature and by action. You don't grow out of it either. You just get better at hiding it. You know, I'm right. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And so is the man on the island. But this is actually one of the reasons why I believe in Christianity because it makes room for people to fall short of who they are supposed to be. Because we all feel that. I'm not who I want to be, who I'm supposed to be. Christianity has an explanation for that. It says, that's sin. It makes room for sin so that we don't have to be hypocrites. We often are, but we don't have to be. We can just be the flawed sinners we are, redeemed by the grace of God. Because Christians have such a high view of God that he's holy and just. Well, then our sin, our rebellion against God's moral rights and wrongs that he has laid out, our sin must be paid for like a crime. Justice must be delivered. And the heart of God in the Bible is that God chose instead of condemning the world for its sin, which is often what we feel like, instead of condemning the world for its sin, he chose instead to send a savior for all peoples. When you think about the man on the island, It's easy to think Christianity is out to condemn the world for not believing like it does. I'm trying to show you the heart of God is the complete opposite. In fact, look at John 3, 17, the very next verse. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Y'all, if I could summarize the entire storyline of the Bible in a sentence, Here's what it'll be. And our folks who took our uh, How to Study the Bible class know exactly where I'm going with this. The gospel message is this. God the Father sent his son to save sinners he loves. That's the story. He loves you. He loves me. He loves the man on the island. We're all sinners. We all deserve judgment for our sin. Ephesians 3, 4, 2, 4, but God. We've been singing that song together in our church based on Ephesians 2, 4, but God. Oh, but God sent his son to save sinners he loves. And I say that y'all because some of y'all came in this morning feeling broken, feeling too stained to be loved by God. And I know you feel that way because in your trust of me, which I do not take lightly, you shared that with me from time to time over these years. 
Praise God that this is a place where you feel like you can come and receive the mercy of God. Pastor Spence, if you only knew my past, maybe that's you this morning though. If you only knew my past, you know there's no hope for me. (laughs) Even if you are in it, I mean like right now, like you came in here today with the stain of sin still fresh on you from last night. I'm telling you, God's love is greater and it's here for you today, now. Here's the way I've heard it described. (laughs) The announcement of the gospel is that that sin that you feel bad about you're actually way wicked than you even realize, way more wicked than you even realize right now. You think your sin is bad? It's actually worse. It's worse because it also has eternal consequences. Not only all the damage that it's doing in your, uh, what we would call horizontal relationships with other people and then internal in yourself, it has vertical consequences as well. It has eternal consequences. But at the same time, you are more loved than you ever thought possible way more love than you thought possible. God the Father loves you so much that he sent his son to save you, to save me and to save the man on the island. That's point one. It is your sin that condemns you. It is God's love that saves us. That question from earlier, man, is God gonna send him to hell because he's never heard of Jesus? It's the wrong assumption. It's not God who condemns. It is our sin that condemns us. It is God who saves That's point one. That's the gospel message. We're clear on that. That's why we say in our church, our number one ministry value is that we keep the gospel at the center of all we do. That's the announcement. It's an announcement of God's love for you. Even if all this spurs up a whole bunch of questions over this series or even today, I want you to walk away with God's love for you announced in what he sent his son to do on your behalf. He loves you. Now on to point two. Christianity being the most inclusive religion in the world. Let's go back to the man on the island. Upon hearing the gospel, you still might say, come on, man. You can't be arrogant enough to assume you're right. Every other religion is wrong. It's just arrogant. The the man on the island, if he grew up Muslim, why can't his way work for him and your way work for you? And underneath that right there, if you go with me for a second, is an assumption that the effect of every religion is basically the same. Either what you're saying is every religion is equal in terms of all roads lead to the same God, or you're saying every religion is equal because they have equal benefits to mankind, like peace, purpose, etc. That argument right there, that argument against Christianity and against any absolute truth claim, that's what's called the secular worldview. And it prizes relativity. Hang with me right now, okay? Secular, when I say secular, I mean the supposedly non-religious worldview of the day. And I say supposedly because what I want to show you is secularism is in fact a religion. And a far more exclusive religion than Christianity. Let me explain. There's a guy named Leslie Newbigin, a British missionary, went to India He's a brilliant writer. He kept trying to share the gospel in India and he kept getting met with, um, sure, Jesus can be your God, but that doesn't make other gods less valuable. And then he'd be told a parable. He heard it dozens of times. Thanks to him, you probably heard it too. It made its way from him into Western Christian teaching. The parable aims to show that no one has a full grasp on truth. No one has a full grasp on God. And the, the way the parable goes, it goes like this. There were three blind men Um, walk into a bar. No, I'm playing. It just sounds like it's going to be the start of that kind of thing. It's not that. Um, He said there are three blind men walking along and they came upon an elephant that allowed them to touch and feel it. And the first man grabbed the elephant's trunk and said, 
Uh, let me tell you what an elephant is like. An elephant is long and flexible like a snake. The second blind man said, not at all. I'll tell you what an elephant is like. An elephant is large and flat like a wall. He's touching the elephant's side. The third man says, you're both wrong. I will tell you what an elephant is like. An elephant is thick and round like a tree trunk. He's grabbing the elephant's leg. Each blind man could feel only part of the elephant, so none could envision the whole thing. And the parable therefore teaches the religions of the world have a grasp on part of the truth about spiritual reality, but no one can see the whole elephant or claim full understanding of God. Now, if I were to take that and go out to a tailgate tomorrow night before the Panthers and Saints play, I bet if I'm just to sit around, most people will go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. And Nubian, after hearing it time and time again, he realized this parable, y'all, it has a huge fatal flaw. The parable is being told by someone who can see. How could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the whole elephant? The only way you can know all religions can only see part of the truth is to conclude that you're the one that can see the whole truth. See, turns out what has this veil of humility and tolerance, no one can know everything, is actually incredibly arrogant and intolerant. Here's the way I'll sum it up for you. The secular argument is that claiming absolute truth is arrogant. But embedded in that is an absolute truth. The secular absolute truth is that truth is relative to each individual. <laughs> See, while the secular world, and I'm telling y'all, this is what we live in. And this is what some of you ascribe to, okay? And where I get excited, it's just to try and help you see what maybe you've adopted without thinking through it. While the secular worldview tries to position itself as the non-religious option in the menu of religions, it's probably the most, we'll say it's the most arrogant of them all, but because it, it claims that you, a single individual person, have the authority of God, the authority to determine truth. When you say no one has the right answer, you're the exclusive one because you're doing the very thing you say no one else can do. So you got to choose who defines what reality is. Is it the secular gospel who says all religions are equal and truth is relative? In other words, is it you? Do you get to decide reality? Or is it, in the case of what Christians are claiming, is it Jesus? Look, I get it. Part of the reason I think people don't even like to entertain the idea that there might be one right way. I think if I had to go underneath that a little bit, I don't even want to talk about there being one right way. Is if there is one way, then you have to submit yourself to it. And we don't want to be told what to do. And so we hide behind this, all religions are equal so that we can just do what we want to do. Because if there's only one truth, then we got to do what that truth says to do. Now let's go back to our man on the island with that in mind. We need to go to him one more time because there's still something that might be lingering with you and it's the question of fairness. How is it fair that you could hear about Jesus and receive forgiveness and not the man on the island? And if you're asking that question, you're believing something about yourself and you're believing something about all mankind. And that is, you believe that what God gives to some, he therefore owes to all. That people are good enough that God owes everybody, 
the opportunity of salvation. But that doesn't square with our scriptures. Are we owed, and I would say it doesn't square with human experience, are we owed forgiveness for our sin? No. God doesn't owe anybody anything. He is God. If we are indeed all sinners, the fact that God rescues any of us at the great cost to himself, the cost of his son, the fact that he does that is sheer mercy. And here's where the question starts to really get us. It's not just about the man on the island. It's about those close to you. It's about you. It's about me. If people we know don't put their faith in Christ for salvation from their sins, what happens? The very uncomfortable answer scripture gives is that they spend eternity apart from God. And if you think how cruel of me to say that, that's the problem with religion. It divides like that. I just want you to remember, everybody has an exclusive faith claim that they live by. Everybody does. Your view of truth, whatever it is, it's excluding somebody, okay? All worldviews, all views of the way things are exclude people. If you say truth is relative, you exclude the man on the island because the man on the island believes if we make the assumption that he's Muslim that I said earlier, but you take whatever faith claim you want to say that he has, he's going to be offended by the spiritual charity you're throwing at him that all truths are equal and whatever belief you ascribe to works. This is not what he believes. You see what I'm saying? What makes Christianity though so uniquely powerful is that it goes to extraordinary lengths to include all people, even the worst of sinners. Christianity sees sickness, sees sin like a sickness and the gospel is the antidote. So those who have been made well, just want to give it to those who haven't. Can't make you take the medicine, of course, but at least Christianity says all people are worthy. It opens with all people are created in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect. And God loves all people and has hope for all people and all people, all people can receive the gospel. No one is too far gone for it. So it makes, if you're even asking that question, why Jesus? You know, okay, exclusivity, but why Jesus? Because he's the one that came and lived the sinless life that you and I couldn't live. He's the one who was fully man because only a man could be a substitute for mankind. It had to be a human to be a substitute for human, but they had to be perfect and only God can be perfect. That's why Jesus, and he draws people to himself, starting right out of the gate with the first church from people of all different backgrounds and statuses, no longer would race, culture, background, morality, distinguish one from the other, not in the church, no, no. See, out in the culture, the Greeks and the Romans, they would not mix the rich and the poor, but the church did. The Romans and the Jews would not mix races, but the church did. See, the gospel produced Right there in the first century, the most inclusive community the world had ever seen. Why? Because the ultimate reality for us, Christians, is a man on the cross loving people who don't love him. Giving himself for people who don't agree with him. Study Acts. You'll see different classes and castes of people mixing together. People giving away their money in just an unheard of ways. That's why the church should be this just beautiful tapestry of the grace of God from people of all different backgrounds. In this room, we'll have the morally upstanding and the moral failures, people of all backgrounds, united, praising God, because it doesn't matter what kind of sinners we are, it matters what kind of savior we have. 
everybody, y'all. The point is everybody has an exclusive view of bad and good. You separate the good from the bad, the enlightened from the unenlightened. The question is, if everybody does it, okay, well then which set of exclusive beliefs actually produce the most peace-loving, inclusive attitude towards humanity? It's the gospel. I'm going to tell you, Christianity is exclusive. My point today is that it is the most inclusive exclusivity that's out there. Because everybody's exclusive. Everybody believes some are right and some are wrong, some are good, some are bad. But oh my goodness, the message of the gospel is that we're all on the same playing field. We're all bad. God is good. And in his kindness, he sent his perfect and good son to save these bad sinners who are running away from him. What a good God. That leads us to point three of our sermon. I told you everybody has a next step following Jesus. There's a couple of steps here. If you're not a Christian, really the only step here is to investigate and then believe. Some of you need to believe the gospel. You're hearing it today. You're not a Christian, but you're also not the man on the island because you've heard today. You've been informed Maybe you never heard before today, but God has ordained today to be the day. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond to him here in just a moment. But then to the rest of us, y'all, the call is to go and tell. The Bible announces good news. And then God has chosen the church to be his plan A. People tell other people about the God who saved them. That's the way he's set it up. And in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul talks about the man on the island because he knows the only hope for the man on the island is if a Christian goes and shares the gospel with him. Here's what he says in Romans 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everyone. Okay, well, if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, well, then how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And he starts just logically working his way back. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are first sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We've said this for some time in our church. Who is someone far from God, but close to you? How will they hear unless you go tell them? How will the man on the island hear? There's 6,000 people groups in the world that have never heard the gospel. And I hope the reality of the lostness that they're experiencing sets in on you. That's why we are so urgent in our mission to go. Because if after all this, you are skeptical about us, at least I hope you'll say that we're consistent. That if we really do believe Jesus is the only way, that we are urgent and we give everything we have so that those who have never heard can hear about the hope of Christ. I've shared this with you before. There's a video that went viral a few years ago um, by the guy Penn from the duo Penn and Teller, right? It was after a show. He's an atheist and um, he shot just kind of video on his phone after a show where he said this guy walks up to him after the show and it's just one of the guys in the audience and he asked very politely if he can give him a Bible and share his story with him. So Penn says yes and the guy shares the gospel, his testimony in the gospel And the way Penn said it, that really resonated with me. He said, I didn't believe like he did, but I thanked him because if it's true that Jesus is the only way, that man did the most loving thing he could ever do for me. That's what we're doing here. 
We might be fools, but we are fools for Christ's sake. And we love you because Christ has loved us. We do not take any superior high ground or standing of any kind. We are sinners saved by grace because God sent his son to save sinners that he loves. And we announce that love to you and we beg you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let me pray for you and lead you in a a time of prayer and response. All three of our campuses, if you get in that posture of prayer, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to receive. Receive the gospel. Receive the great news of forgiveness. God sent his son to save sinners that he loves. And that's you. And that's me. And to receive that message of hope is simply to say this, God, I do. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe I'm a sinner. And I need your grace. You tell him, I need salvation from my sin. And I receive, I believe Jesus died and paid the penalty for my sin. I believe it. I believe he rose again from the grave, defeating death and giving me new life. I believe it. And I receive that today. If you're not, if you are a Christian, I want you to maybe, maybe it's a moment of just surrendering your doubt to God. And remembering what a miracle you are that God saved you. That he saved me. Humbling yourself back to that God. Maybe it's praying for that friend that is far from God but close to you. Praying for conversations that are kind of come up even out of this. Would you pray that the love of Christ would be what wins their heart? We're not here to debate. We're here to celebrate the great news of the gospel and try and share with those who don't know it yet. God, would you move among us? We want to see the lost saved, but we do so from a posture of just thankfulness that you have saved us. Would you give us an urgency, a humble urgency to go and share the great hope of Christ? Because how are they going to hear unless someone is sent? The only place this can really land for us, I know it as believers, is with an urgency, a broken heart and an urgency that others would hear this great news that we've gotten to hear. So help us, Father. Thank you for your grace and your love and your kindness towards us. We celebrate your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.